Welcome to Cars on Call. I am automotive journalist and gastroenterologist Steve Schutz, and uh, we are without our co-hosts, uh, Adams Hudson and trauma surgeon Stefan Moran. Uh, but that's because we have a very special guest. Uh, I'm extremely honored to introduce uh, our guest today, Joe Bezzetta, car enthusiast, uh, new car dealer, uh, motorcycle enthusiast, vintage racer, um, car collector, and he's now exploring um, a new facet of his automotive life, which I find very fascinating. Uh, he's looking into starting to create some bespoke air-cooled air -cooled Porsche 911s, which we'll talk about a little later. Uh, he has a famous father, Joe Bezzetta Sr., who was a Porsche race driver uh, back in the 60s, uh, and we'll talk about uh, his, his father too. Um, but uh, I'll just start off very quickly, Joe, um, before you kind of say a few words about yourself and say, you and I met, um, we grew up in the same town in Long Island, and uh, we overlapped uh, not that long in high school, but we would ride the bus together. And I remember um, we would sit together and talk cars. And I was so impressed back then because your knowledge of cars was encyclopedic. It was deep and wide. I read about cars all the time. So I knew about cars uh, and I was, I was completely uh, obsessed with cars. Uh, but your knowledge back then, Joe, uh, struck me. And obviously we both continued into the car world. Uh, welcome. I'm so psyched to have you. Thank you. I mean, after that introduction, I hope I can live up to all that. Uh, <laughs> piece, piece of cake, Joe. Oh, my God. Um, well, I, I have to say, I thought the same of you in high school. I'm like, boy, who is this guy? He knows so much about cars. And, uh, you know, frankly, it was a relief because I pretty much hated school. So any opportunity to talk about something other than school was great. And, um, yeah, I was thankful for you. We hit it off right away. And, uh cars were the glue that did it, you know? Uh, yes. Uh, you know, we were talking earlier and I think this, th that's true for a lot of people. And I have met so many people, um, as you know, Joe, I've been very fortunate over almost 30 years to be a car reviewer, a new car reviewer. So I've been writing about, uh, cars and, and I've been an automotive journalist part-time of course, but, yeah. um, I've had a lot of car experiences and I've met a lot of car people and it's amazing. It doesn't matter uh, how you got into the car world or what your background is, um, you connect. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So, um, there is a question that, uh, our, my, uh, co-host Stefan, uh, who is a great guy, trauma surgeon, uh, and he saved so many lives. Uh, he's really wow. the, the main genesis of, of this show. He talks about safety from the, from the trauma surgeon perspective, but he always asks uh, guests, hey, what was your taproot moment? And um, I'll tell you one. Uh, I'll tell you mine, Joe, and, and I, and I want to hear yours. And as soon as I started thinking about this moment, I realized it actually is indirectly connected to, to you or at least your father. So I was walking uh, through Nessaquag, uh, walking home, and this guy pulls up and I kind of knew him somehow. I think I was 12. Uh, he must have known one of my parents. Uh, and he said, hey, do you want to ride? And I said, sure. And he was a prosperous guy, but he was driving a BMW 530i. And this was my first experience with a luxury car that was not a Lincoln. It was not a Cadillac. It wasn't a floaty car. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, it had a it had a stick shift, and it was a nice car, but it was it was a BMW. I'm sure your dad sold him that car. Um, that for me opened my eyes, and I decided, oh, okay, there's a car for me out there because I I wasn't interested in the floaty big cars. That was for me the kind of the moment where I said, okay, I think I know where I want to go with cars. What was your moment? Man, that's a hard question. I got to really uh, go deep into the memory banks. Um, so many memories as a kid. I mean, I grew up with cars. You know, my dad was a car guy and he was a racer. He was a car dealer. Um, you know, it might have been just being around the shop. They started out with a small shop, basically mechanical repair and, you know, selling a few used cars and whatever, whatever they could get in and out of the door to make money. But at the same time, <clears throat> they were campaigning a um, Porsche race car. And I remember being at the shop on Saturday, you know, even as a kid, they'd bring me in, you know, let me sleep, sweep the floors and, you know, chase the stray cats out of the cars outside and stuff like that. And I remember seeing that car, you know, in the, in the building inside in the shop. And before my dad and his partner were just obsessed with cleanliness. So didn't have a lot of money, but they probably painted the floor every couple of months. So it was a gleaming, you know, shiny gray concrete floor. And here was this white prototype Porsche. It was probably a 906, I'm thinking, because I know it was white. Uh, you know, it just, I, it almost looked like a, like a matchbox car come to life. You know, I mean, as a kid, I could sort of relate to it, even though I knew it was really expensive and really delicate. And, you know, I wasn't allowed to touch certain things. But, you know, they had me around it and helping to clean it and this and that. And it was just so cool. And it was... Uh, you know, a bit polarizing for me to see that car there. You know, I didn't quite understand all of it. It looked a little delicate, looked a little dangerous. Maybe I like that. I don't know. Um, that was probably one of the moments. And then, you know, several rides with my dad. You know, he was a fantastic driver, even a street driver, just a very uh, precise, methodical driver. And I used to love to watch him drive. You know, everything he did had a purpose. It wasn't that he was flying and going so fast most racers on the street don't drive that fast because you know they really don't have to there's nothing to prove and they just they go at a you know uh an efficient rate you know usually not the speed limit which is too slow but an efficient rate and he just drove very efficiently and very precisely and i like to watch him so that was another thing that really got to me i just decided you know i want to be a driver one day a good driver i want to drive like that i want to enjoy my car i could see he knew how to enjoy the car you know, that was important to me. So, so it's hard, yeah, it's hard for me to just say that there was one moment, but I, those two things stick out in my early years as things that were, you know, made a difference for me. Yeah. Your, your, uh, youth was more filled with car stuff than most people, certainly more than mine. So it, it makes yeah. sense. Um, I'll just say very quickly, uh, you, you, after your dad, uh, died, which was, I think earlier this year, I think January ish. Yes. Yeah. Okay. January. We had a, uh, we mentioned him on a show and had a little eulogy. I mentioned uh, your yeah, dad. So that, and, that was really nice. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And and the thing that struck me about your dad back then, uh, of course, I was young, you know, 14 ish, and uh, I liked that he was nice to me. He was, he was a very nice mm-hmm. man. But, yeah, he uh, was. The, yeah. but the thing, you know, he would drive me home, uh, drive us home uh, from school if there was an after school activity. And I, you know, by the time you're 14, you have been in parents 
cars times like 30, 40, 50 different parents over yeah. the, all those years. And yeah. I'd see many, many parents driving. It's always the same. And then all of a sudden uh, I drove with, you know, I was in the car with your dad. I'm like, whoa, this yeah. is different. Yeah. And uh, I was really struck by the smoothness, acceleration, braking, steering, everything was so smooth. And, uh, and you're right. I never felt like he sped. And I always, it's the safest I've ever felt felt in a car. I remember you saying that and that, that's true. He, you know, we were, in, we were as a family, of course, drove around a lot. He always drove, you know, in those days, the man always, always drove and we were in some tight spots, you know, blizzards and things like that. And you could just see that he had a skill set, you know, a couple of times where we were, you know, I mean, and you're driving 1970s Jeep Wagoneers too, by the way, you know, it's not like today's cars where, you know, you just drive it and some lights come on the dash and, you know, some electronic babysitter just saved you from sliding off the road. You know, those cars were totally analog and, you know, bad tires, bad brakes. And a few times up in Vermont, you know, we were driving in blizzards and, you know, you had to be, you had to be a good driver to not go off the road. And he, he never put a toe off, you know, you could see he was working, but he, he knew exactly what, what the car was doing, you know? So yeah, yeah ra- races are always practicing, you know? <laughs> perfecting, perfecting. Exactly. Their, I was their looking car. for that inch, extra inch here and there, you know? Yeah. Hey, there's a moment. Uh, you told me about this a while ago, but I, I want to circle back because it does involve your dad. And I know this is not a taproot moment, uh, but I know this was a formative moment for you. Uh, you and your father, you know, I, I can only imagine how busy your father was. He's running a very successful business. He's got a family, uh, but running a very successful business is, as you know, uh, it takes lots of time and lots of attention and uh, if you don't give your business time and attention, it's going to fail. So I know he was very busy, but he took time out. And you two did a very special trip in 1984. Uh, I remember you told me about it. And I just found the story amazing. Go ahead and, and, and relay that story. Yeah, sure. Well, he, he wanted to buy a uh, Ferrari 512 BBI, which in that time period was, you know, one of the faster cars on the road. And he had a 246 Dino that he owned for maybe six or seven years before that. Anyway, he ordered the 512 and then decided that we should do a uh, trip together to Europe and pick it up. So we picked the car up at the factory, which of course was, you know, an epic thing to do. And this is really and just, just the two of you. Well, it actually, his best friend uh, actually wanted one also. So they ordered one. So it was actually uh two cars and four, four guys. So it was me and my dad and my friend, Eric, uh, and his, his dad, Howie. Yeah. Um, so we picked them up at the same time. We were together for a number of days and then they went their way and we went our way. They had a different trip plan, but we basically spent 10 days driving around Europe in this thing, you know, brand new five twelve, Um, and we had an unbelievable time, you know, as a father and son, I mean, not just driving, but visiting a lot of his, old friends at the Porsche factory. Um, we went to Weissach and we spent a day there, you know, when uh, Helmut Bott was still the mm. director of Weissach and, yeah. you know, he and my dad were friends, you know, you couldn't really, you couldn't really go there. Even a good customer wasn't allowed to go there and see what was going on. It was like the equivalent of going to NASA, you know, it's all experimental stuff. Uh, by coincidence, I think Car and Driver rode and track the month before their issue featured Vysock, and they sent their journalist there, and he saw 
a lot of stuff, but not everything. He saw a lot. We saw everything. We went through. We were with Mr. Bot. He had his keys, and you know, it was the old-fashioned, like a janitor's key ring, and he missed every door. We saw the 959s in development. Really? Uh, 928 um, S4 prototype uh, that he was actually driving. It had no interior, just the engine and just a gutted-out car, and he was putting miles on the drivetrain. Um, you know, so we did a lot of cool stuff like that. Um, went to the Porsche factory, we visited, visited them. And, uh, I met some of his, uh, original mechanics that were on the team. We just had a ball and driving around in that car, you know, in Europe was pretty, pretty epic. I mean, in those days, there were, weren't many cars that could cruise at, you know, 120, 130 miles an hour sustained. I mean, today, as you know, any of these big sedans will do that. But in those days, if you were driving something like that, I mean, you were king of the Autobahn, you know, really. I mean, you could cruise at 130, 140 with that thing, no problem. And, uh, yeah, it was an unbelievable, unbelievable trip. He let me drive a little bit, um, which I was surprised because I was 18 years old. I mean, driving in Europe on the Autobahn at 18 is, you know, I, I can't even fathom that. Uh, but he let me do that. And um, at one point, I'm not sure we were so long ago, but it, was, it started pouring rain. And he was tired. He fell asleep in the passenger seat. So now I'm all by myself. You know, I got directions. I kind of know, all right, we're going to go, you know, 60 kilometers and make this turn. You know, he had it all written down. And I was, it was just like a, a Zen moment by myself in this Ferrari, 18 years old, on the Autobahn. You know, heavy rain, so it's probably down to like, you know, 80 or 90 miles an hour tops, maybe not even that. Um, and I was like, wow, this is, this is incredible, you know. <laughs> Yeah, that's the, that's amazing, um, and you know, as a as a son, you know, you you always have a certain vision of your parents, but you couldn't have really understood what his racing life was like, uh, and you must have gotten a window into that when he shows up at the factory and the mechanics come out. There must have been a bond, yeah. that you saw. Oh yeah, yeah, it was actually. Uh, I I felt like it. It actually brought tears to my eyes because i what i saw that at that point was interesting so we the way i remember it, we pull up to this courtyard and there's a guard tower and we pull up with this bright red ferrari and the guard is you know your stereotypical german you know he looks like a you know gestapo almost you know and he looks down at us and he's you know grinding us for credentials and paperwork and who do you know and this and that and in the courtyard is like you know these kind of dark orange like that porsche red orange door color you know and with that one of the doors opens up and it was like something out of a movie three guys in porsche mechanics overalls with the porsche logo the red overall come out and with that one of them you know points at the guard and says something in german the guard immediately opens the gates we drive this ferrari in these three guys get my dad out of the car and put him up on their shoulders they were wow. so happy to see him yeah, I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, my God. And what I learned later on, one of the reasons for that is he was very uh, well liked by the mechanics and staff on the team because he was, you know, he was the guy who was like the regular guy. You know, he would stay up late. They were having a transmission problem, having to sort something out. He Instead of, you know, going to town and chasing girls or going to the hotel and getting extra sleep, he'd stay at the track you know, drive the car around, test it, make sure it was fixed before the next guy came for his shift, you know? 
and stuff like that. You know, he was more of a down to earth person than I think some of the other guys on the team, not to say anything bad about them. They're all great guys, but sure. you know, it was a different kind of an order, I guess. I don't know. He, he was more, you know, coming from a mechanical mechanics background to him. It was just normal. Hey, we got something to fix. You know, what do I do? What can, how can I help? You know? So I think he was well-regarded by them for that reason, you know? And, uh, yeah. And yeah, of course awesome. you would awesome to see. Yeah. It's, it's one thing to see a driver return and be, uh, you know, embraced. It's another thing if it's your father. Uh, and I, I think it's worth mentioning that, um, part of the, the bonds, uh, between any of these racing teams among any of these racing teams were magnified because this was a very dangerous period. Many of these yeah. drivers did not survive. Yeah. 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 My dad actually, he retired in 1970 and he had an opportunity to drive for Ferrari. They called him and they had seen what he'd done at Porsche. And I think they were thinking, you know, it wouldn't be a bad, bad thing to, you know, mimic that, have an American on the team. It's, you know, politically correct. And he thought about it for more than a minute. And I know my mother was dead set against it. His parents were dead set against it. And my dad was the type of guy that, you know, he would consider everybody's opinion. But at the end of the day, if he wanted to do something, he was going to do it. And everybody just got to follow along, you know. Um, but he told me later in years that he just saw too many of his friends die in cars. And Ferraris at the time were just known to be bad wrecks. They went on fire. You know, Porsches generally, you know, you could wreck the car. And as long as you were in one piece, you could get out of it, you know. Um, he just thought, you know, if I, if I go with Ferrari, it might be the end of me. So, um, yeah. And you got, you know, you got, you got kids. It's time to, it's time to walk away. One of the things I admire about an old driver and Hans Herman, I'm sure your dad drove with Hans Herman. Uh, much, he, yeah. he won, uh, the first Le Mans for, uh, Porsche in 1970, in the ninth And, uh, he promised his wife that would be his last race. He won. And he kept his word. He, that was the last race he ever raced. And yeah. uh, if you got kids and you're a father, you know, you're a, you're a father, you know, uh, you yeah. got to do that. So, yeah, um, I, I think about that myself sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. What a trip. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I found interesting was that young uh, in your life, not 1984 young, but uh, into your 20s and 30s, you kind of caught the motorcycle bug. So what was the story there? What what attracted you to motorcycles? Was, was was you were a kid and you like motorcycles, or what's the story there? Motorcycles for me were speed. That was the uh, you know that was the attraction initially. Um, my dad bought me a ninety um, cc Kawasaki when I was uh, let me think I guess I was eleven, probably eleven, and it was just you know something I rode around the neighborhood. It was it was fun, but I I didn't see it as necessarily any future in it. It was just you know something to do. And uh, sold that when I got my first car. And, you know, most people have a similar story. But around 1988, I guess, I was working at the dealership as a salesperson. And a couple of my friends who actually, I didn't even know that they were really into motorcycles. They were from my, I, I was into water skiing at one time also. And these were buddies of mine that I see on the boat. We go skiing after work. And they roll up on these two pretty new super bikes. And I'm like, wow, those things are cool. I mean, first of all, they were beautiful to me. I loved how you could see the engine and all the mechanicals were right out there. It was really, you know, motorcycles, especially Japanese bikes at the time, they took a lot of care to make sure everything looked really nice and, you know, everything had a good finish on it. So I, I liked that. And uh, 
I'm like, wow, these things are beautiful. So we chatted a little bit and then they left and they left and just the sound and the speed, they just jetted off. I was like, man, within a month I had a bike and I started riding with them and I just, I fell in love with it. But initially it was mostly because I love the speed. Uh, you know, 1988, I mean, a Corvette had what? 200 horsepower. Yeah. You know, Ferrari had, I don't know, what did a Testarossa have? Maybe 300 horsepower or something like that. Uh, you know, a motorcycle, you could buy a motorcycle that was 450 pounds and had 140 horsepower. I mean, the power to weight was intoxicating. So that's really what started it for me. But then I realized I really enjoyed riding them. They're a lot of fun. Uh, similar to cars, there's a, a lot of camaraderie with motorcyclists. And, um, you know, it's different with different kinds of bikes. You know, there's the Harley crowd has one idea of motorcycling and super bikes are doing something else. And, uh, it's it's a nice bunch of people though it's really you know some of my best friends are all through motorcycles so you know so it's a lovely hobby lovely sport you know really is did you did you gravitate away from the superbike style and and did that evolve or are you are you still mostly you know a ducati uh type of a guy or or you know ninja type of guy uh, it's a mixed bag for me. I like anything fast, honestly. Um, the, I love super bikes. Most of my super bikes are older. They're a little bit more comfortable than the new ones. The new ones are really cramped and I'm not that big of a guy, but I just, my body doesn't bend well enough to fit on the new bikes, nor do I really have an interest in 200 horsepower and 380 pounds to me. It's just my, I don't think my brain can work fast enough anymore to really ride something like that. But I do enjoy the super bikes, just, you know, shorter rides. I can't ride them for hours anymore. Uh, my favorite type of bike is probably more of a standard style. that's still got decent power and handling, but a little bit more upright, a little bit easier to ride. Um, early Kawasaki's, Suzuki's, things like that uh, are a lot of fun to ride. And you can modify them. You can, you know, change the suspension and brakes and you know, tune the engine a little bit better than they were originally. And all of a sudden you got a great bike and they're fast enough, um, you know, sort of akin to a, you know, 60s, 70s muscle car uh, versus, you know, a, a new 911 GT3. You know, it's just uh, they're, they're still fun. They're just, you know, a little bit older uh, mechanicals and a little less capable, but still a lot of fun. That's probably my go to at this point. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's one thing I've never, I never really got that into, uh, motorcycles. I was never that curious. I think it was a hundred percent fear that kept me away from motorcycles. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, a lot, you know, a lot of guys feel that way. And I think if, if that's how it is, then you should stay away from it. I mean, I, people ask me sometimes, you know, why did you get into it? Why do you still ride? It's so dangerous and this and that, you know, you can't be a fatalist if there's something you want to do, but there's a tremendous risk with motorcycles. There's no question. I mean, you know, you could, you could have a 20 mile an hour incident with a car and you're really what's going to happen. You know, you're basically going to bend your car up and go home motorcycle. You could lose a leg. You could have, you know, a catastrophic injury. It's really, you know, definitely a dangerous activity, but I, uh, I've been lucky over the years. I, I don't know if it's just skill or just luck, but I, I've been lucky. I've had a couple of minor falls, nothing that really hurt me too badly, but I've known some guys that have gotten seriously hurt and, uh, and worse. So yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough thing. 
I do. I will tell you, I do ride less. I'm more into cars the last uh, five to six years than I am into bikes. I ride more occasionally now. And uh, maybe that is the reason. I just, I think, you know, cars are, I can, I can have a lot of fun in a car and there's, there's metal around you. You don't feel as exposed, you know? Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, your, uh, you, you know, your dad, uh, created this network of car dealerships and now you and your, your siblings run that, uh, very, very successful enterprise. As I said earlier, um, running a successful business is, uh, hard work and it's a lot of decisions and it's lonely at the top. You know, I've got a, a medical practice that is very, very busy and it's very successful yeah. and we've got 150 employees and you've got to take care of your employees. But, um, you're not, you're not friends with your employees. Uh, so no. it's a little bit lonely at the top. Um, is that, is that hard for you? It's not hard anymore. I think when I was younger, it was hard. You know, I, um, I, uh, worked with people, you know, side by side, it's hard not to become friendly. And most people desire a friendship with the boss or the owner, you know, and I, I wasn't always an owner. I mean, I'm saying when I was coming up through management and whatnot. Um, but you're right. You really have to be very careful. I, I made the mistake of being friends with people here and there, and it, it did, it did, uh, it did bite me a little bit. Um, it's, you know, you've got 150 employees. I mean, you know, it's really all about the people, the right people. And it takes a long time to fine tune that. And you're always fine tuning it. You know, there's, you could have things hundred percent great. And then, you know, your, your favorite person who's running this division gets an offer from somebody else and they're gone. And then you're back, you have a big void and it's back to, all right, how are we going to fill this void and make it work again? Um, yeah, the business, you know, the business for us has been, it's been our whole life really. And my dad started it. He, uh, really kind of retired in the nineties. You know, he decided he didn't want to work that much anymore. He started going to Florida a lot. So he left it with us and it was, I was in the business first, uh, then my brother and then my sister came into it and we've been very successful. We've been fortunate to have enough stores that we can spread out. So we're not right on top of each other. I've seen family businesses where everybody's under one roof and, you know, it's just nothing but, you know, stress and nobody gets along and, you know, it's awful. I mean, it really, it really can be awful. So we have not haven't had any of that, which I'm thankful for. And we've got wonderful franchises. Um, you know, being a car guy, it's nice to sell cool cars. Um, and that, you know, I've always, honestly, BMW has always been my go-to brand of the stuff that we sell. We have Mercedes also, Infinity and Subaru. And we've had Toyota and Nissan also in the past. But uh, BMW is really my favorite brand that we have. It's just a true enthusiast brand so to me it's fun to be in a business and at the same time you're you know parlaying it into something really cool you know it's exciting when the new m3 comes out or the new whatever the latest spaceship they're coming out with these days so uh, it's been fun it's been fun it's been very good for our family we've you know we've made good money with it we've employed a lot of great people uh, we've been able to help other people and other businesses along the way it's a very, been a very fortunate thing and my dad was I have to say very visionary in the beginning because when he started it, it was really small. And, you know, the franchises we got were, you know, Datsun, for example, in the sixties. I mean, I think they had three models. They had a pickup truck, station wagon, and a sedan, and, and they had the little sports car, but 
you know, platform sharing, very simple cars. And, uh, but he saw something in that and we eventually became a pretty big Nissan store for 25 years. So. Yeah, it's, uh, it's cool. I, we had uh, a dealer on earlier this year named Gary Duncan. He's from uh, Virginia and uh, he's actually kind of king of the JDM world. So he sells the, the little uh, Nissan uh, Figaro's and POWs and that kind of thing in the little trucks. Yeah, I know what those uh, are. Yeah, they're cute. He cute sells cars. a lot of them, um, but he yeah. has new stores. And um, yeah. he said that, uh, you know, it can be a little prickly sometimes working with the manufacturers. Um, they can be a challenge. Uh, I'm sure you oh, found yeah. that here and there. Oh. <laughs> that that would be like two more podcasts, Steve. I don't know. <laughs> and I, they'd probably cancel my franchise after they see what I have to say. But I, honestly... <laughs> most of our experience with the um manufacturers has been good we've we've had good partnerships with them and uh you know i i know dealers that are constantly in a tug of war with their oems and uh we're just not that you know we we roll with it we we do the best with what tools they give us which is usually enough um that with great again great product you know mercedes and bmw they just uh you know they have fantastic r d um you know not everything that they build is a raging success but mostly what they build is really good um so yeah we've had a good really good run with it and um you know hoping to keep doing it that's some third generation coming in now too so yeah uh one thing that uh we've talked about that i really want to hear more about because this is uh you know away from work it's relaxation obviously your job is stressful being the boss of any enterprise is stressful, especially if it's large like yours. And you've kind of um, gone into uh, vintage racing as presumably a, a stress reliever. I guess the need for speed too. It's it's almost like uh, the motorcycle thing. Talk about how you got into vintage racing and what you're doing with that now. Yeah, so it's uh, it's it is a stress reliever. It's funny because some people think of racing as like, you're going to go there and it's like, you know, going to be like a boxing match or something like that. It's really not that it's mostly a lot of strategy. I call it high speed problem solving is really what it is. Um, but yeah, it's a ton of fun. It's the cars that we like, you know, if you choose vintage, you can obviously drive whatever makes you happy. Um, and the cars are fantastic. Again, like, motorcycling you meet really really great people um it's only my third season so i'm still pretty new to it but you know i'm learning and i'm getting better and uh you meet guys that have been doing it you know 20 30 years and more and most of them are always really helpful you know it's a very uh you know they you get out on the track and everybody wants to get you know everybody wants to win everybody wants to you know beat the next guy but uh it's also helping each other um, taking care of your competitor because, you know, you need people to race against, you know, in any given group, uh, whatever car you have, let's say there's, you know, for example, 20 cars in a group and you go out for a half an hour race, there's probably only two or three cars out of that 20 that really are comparable enough to yours that, you know, considering let's say drivers have a similar skill set and cars have a similar speed potential, um, you know, you've got to take care of those guys. You know, I mean, if you, if there's nobody to race against, it's no fun. I mean, it's great to have the fastest car and go out and beat everybody, but that's not really skill. That's just having a faster car. 
So the idea is to, you know, help one another. And I like that. And it's just, it's a lot of fun driving on the track, going fast, you know, strategizing, try to figure out, you know, where a guy might be a little bit weak and, you know, try to take advantage of him here and there. They're doing the same thing to you. Uh, yeah, it's great. I, I always, I, I always say, I can't wait till the next race. It's like, what is, uh, I'm trying to think the famous quote, um, uh, maybe it's uh, Steve McQueen. Uh, Steve racing McQueen. Is, yeah. yeah uh, racing, racing is, is life. life. Everything else is just waiting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, in my life, that's not really true because I have so many other things going on. There's, there's no waiting. But uh, but I will tell you, when I leave the track and I come home, I'm, I'm checking the calendar. When's the next one? I can't wait to get back. You know? uh, yeah. And, and it's, it's fun, too. Yeah, I was yeah, going to say, the other thing mm-hmm. is the cars. I wouldn't mm-hmm. want to drive a car I don't like. So. The first thing I did, the first car I, I raced and I bought for myself was a Lotus 23, which I always liked those cars. And it turned out to be everything I thought. I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed it immensely. Um, there's a, a good competitive group in the two clubs that I race in. So we have guys to race against. And it's, it's a lot of fun. It's just a great, it's a great little car. And then I bought one of my dad's cars last year. He had a um, 1971 Chevron b19 sports racer so i'm I'm learning how to drive that it's on slicks you know it's a much more serious car than the lotus but i'm doing pretty well with that and it's a lot of fun uh much faster car which is you know which is good so it's fun it's a lot of fun yeah your roots are obviously in porsche but i i found it interesting you're racing that chevron which if i think it has a ford engine yeah it's a cause it's a cosworth uh yeah. two liter you know, they were powered by a few different things. BMW made, a, uh, I think, a 2.2 for it. Uh, but, yeah, mostly Cosworth. It's, it's, you know, it's a very potent car. I mean, it's about 1,100 pounds and 300 horsepower. So it's, it's pretty potent, you know. I mean, I can tell you I was at a uh, track day last week just doing some practice. We were changing some gears and changing my seat. And there was a guy with a pretty new, I don't know what kind of Porsche it was, but it was a track-prepared you know, like a GT3 or something like that. And those cars are fast. I mean, I was, he could pull me on the straights, but as soon as we got into the turns, as much grip as he had and power, he just couldn't get rid of me. He'd point me by, you know, a half a lap was about all he could stand, you know. So they're very, very cool little cars and uh, pretty safe to drive. A lot of brakes, a lot of grip, you know. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it is, it is a stress reliever. I, I, I come back from those weekends and because of all the strategizing and all the fun you're having, it's just like, ah, uh, you know, it's, it's probably what some people do with yoga, but I do it at racing instead. Yeah. I, I've never, uh, uh, I have to say, Joe, I never looked at, uh, racing and thought, Oh, that looks like high speed yoga. <laughs> well, I don't know how else to describe it. I just, it's, I'll tell you, you, you would relate to this because I know you like to drive. Sometimes when you're on, you're on a country drive, you're on a back road with your favorite car and there's nobody in front of you and it doesn't, you're not necessarily going at a brake net next speed, but everything's just clicking, you know, the shifting, the braking points, everything's working. You're enjoying your car. That's what the best day of racing is like when your car is going good, you know, you're, you're going good. Um, your, your lap times are coming down. You're figuring out a corner that you used to do a certain way. And now you're doing it a little bit differently. Um, that's really the fun of it. It's very, I'll say it's very satisfying. That's, that's what it really is. 
you know. Um, do you think, do you envision, um, you know, as this evolves and as, as you know, time goes on, you're going to uh, maybe get into some vintage Porsche racing or you think you'll stick with the Chevron or what are your thoughts for how that might come out? Yeah, I think, you know, Porsches are, I'd love to campaign an RSR, a 911-based car. Um, and they're, you know, you can build one. You don't necessarily have to have an original car, which is a today a $2.5 million car, you know, an early RSR. You can build something very similar for a few hundred thousand dollars and, and race that. Um, I'm definitely interested in that. And, you know, we have my dad's collection of prototypes, and those can be, um, you know, two or three of them are already recommissioned and ready to go. And we're going to take them out to Ren Sport. Um, and it's not necessarily wheel to wheel racing, but, you know, you're going really fast on the track and you're using the car as it was intended. Um, that's to me, the best place for those types of cars. Um, you know, when they were 50 and hundred thousand dollar cars, people would just take them and use them up in vintage racing, but that's 40 years ago. I mean, today they're more, you know, coveted. I mean, some of them, you know, they only built 25 or 30 of them and you really don't want to go out and bend it up. You know, when I'm driving one of my cars, I really don't think about it. I don't want to have an accident, but if I have an accident, the last thing I'm worried about is bending the car up. I can either replace it or fix it. But, you know, with a prototype Porsche 906, 910, 908, you know, it's going to take you years to repair it and it may never be right. You know, it's it's hard to find people that even, you know, restore and repair those cars anymore. So, but to answer your question, uh, Ren Sport is a good uh, venue for that. There's also some other companies that do special events just for those cars. That would be my interest in the old prototype stuff. But I think at some point I'm going to build an RSR for the track and, uh, and campaign that there's some, there's some really good racing and, uh, SVRA and HSR for those cars. And it's, I think it'd be a lot of fun. You know, that's terrific. Uh, I am curious, uh, you know, I have seen your personal collection. I'm curious about how you put it together. It's very eclectic. Uh, you know, I think many, if not most, uh, enthusiast collectors kind of focus on one brand. So you'll have Porsche collectors, of course, but you've got Ferrari collectors, uh, Lamborghini muscle car collectors, and there'll be Mopar. Uh, your collection uh, has American cars. I know you you like Fords. Uh, you do have, of course, uh, Porsche. Um but it's eclectic. Talk about that because I find your collection fascinating. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, you know, for me, it's just there's certain brands I do like, but I don't uh, necessarily dislike any brand. I just, I like cars. If, if I see a car and I think it's a beautiful car, um, it's interesting to me. It could be a Japanese car, it could be an Italian car, German car, American, whatever. Um, I, for me, it's about driving. I like cars that drive well. I've, uh, I've bought some cars that were like a dream car and, you know, they're more or less stock originals or restored to original and you drive them. And it's like, you know, it's like meeting your, your hero. You go, Oh my God, you know, this guy's really a jerk now that I've met him. And some of those cars are, you know, not the greatest driving cars, not how we would have imagined, but it's fun to, improve them that's what i like so for example you can take a 1960s mustang and you can put you know modern suspension that many different people make it bolts right in you're not cutting the car up you're not damaging the car you're just improving it you know you're putting in suspension that's designed on a computer cad and it's 
made out of chrome molly steel and not stamped steel. You know, you, the car actually is e easier to align even by, by the time you're done with it. So you can do, you know, Willwood brakes. You can do modern suspension. Um, you can put some chassis stiffeners in it. Now, all of a sudden, you've got a good basis for a car that becomes more of a driver's car. And you can put a 450 horsepower small block in it, put a Tremec 5 or 6B behind it. Now you've got a real driver's car. Um, so I've built some stuff like that. Um, you know, I've got a Ford and, and Shelby addiction a little bit, and I like to modify those. Not Again, not too far, not cutting them up, just bolt in. Um, you know, sometimes the Shelby guys will get mad at you. You know, why'd you do that? But to me, it's all, there's all the stock parts in a box. You can always put it back. Um, so that to me is fun, you know, hot rodding, modifying cars, uh, Japanese cars, you know, Datsun Z cars. I grew up with those. My first car was a 77 280. So I like those. And again, really easy. There's companies that build better suspension, better brakes. Or, you know, you and I could do it on a Saturday on a lift, you know, it's, you don't have to be a genius, um, fun to do. And the car drives a lot better, you know, uh, comes an outlaw maybe. My partner, uh, Stefan, uh, is such a Shelby nut and he's having a, uh, is he? a Cobra uh, replica being built right now. I think it's ERA is doing it, but he's, he's a nut. So, uh, I will channel Stefan and say, uh, talk more about your Ford products. Um, which, which Fords do you have? Well, I have mostly Mustangs. Um, I have a, um, I have a 67 GT 500 that Again, you know, we modified it with bolt-in suspension and brakes, and the car is light years better than they were originally. Um, it's got a, you know, it's got a, a newer built 427 with a lot of power, Tremec, Tremec uh, five-speed. So again, you know, it still drives like an old car. It's nowhere near a new car, but it's, it's you know, 50% better, if that's a good way to put it. Um, I've got a 66 Fairlane and it's kind of the same way, you know, modified. It looks, looks like an R code Fairlane, but it's more modern and drives fantastic coilover suspension, for example. Um, you know, the Porsches are more of a, for me, trying to get the more period correct hot rods, you know, so you can take an early 911, um, and, you know, put better components than they had but not that much better it's still pretty much the way that they were built but you know through better shocks and more precise sway bars and better brakes and things like that you know as good as those early 911s were they can be a lot better um so that's kind of the fun with those cars and uh you know a little bit of engine modifications too i've got an old 911e that i'm building a 2.7 for it should be pretty cool it's going to be an rs spec 2.7 and um that'll wake that car up a little bit you know from the original original 140 horsepower yeah i i think it's going to wake up a lot um yeah. yeah one car that uh struck me you just finished building it it was as i recall a 78 uh, 911 sc uh you had completely reworked and i found it fascinating and i was fortunate enough to drive it thank you but it was yes, eye-opening no, because um that car was obviously conceived and executed as a uh analog 911 driver's car um mm -hmm. talk about what I, I obviously that's what you wanted but how did that all come together that could not have been easy 
So the idea for that car is I've always been an RSR freak. I mean, I think back in the early to mid eighties, uh, first RSR I, I saw was at the track. My dad was at a vintage race and the guy had painted it just all gloss black. It was just black, black, black. You know, the car was just demonic looking with that wide body. And, uh, I thought, man, that's a cool car. I'd like to have one of those for the street one day. So I thought this SC, which is, you know, they're a good basis because, you know, they're a galvanized car. They don't rust like the early cars and, uh, they're good. You know, the good cars. So we gutted it. We made it as light as we could. We did a wide body on it and, uh, just set about to make it a really nice all around street car, not too far, you know, not full coil over suspension or too slammed to the ground. I wanted something to still road nice over railroad tracks and things like that, but it's a badass. It's a badass little 911. You know, it's got, uh, it's got a 3.2 liter in it, pretty high RPM. I think it's about 72 or 7,300, uh, 260, 270 horsepower or something like that. Um, nice gear ratios. Um, yeah, I mean, that car, the idea for that was lightweight, efficient, um, you know, kind of Spartan, but still a full interior. So if I want to take my kids, it has a back seat with seat belts. Uh, it's got a roll bar in it, more more for effect than anything else, just a single hoop. But, you know, again, the aesthetic was, you know, an outlaw slash race car for the street. Um, I call it a hot rod. I think that's in keeping with hot rodders, you know, take a stock car and modify it make it better than the original, more efficient, faster, but, you know, better to drive. And, uh, that was the, that was the impetus for the car. I think we nailed it on that car really. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I can imagine, uh, taking it, uh, through Vermont in October with the foliage. Oh, it was great. It was great. On, on great roads. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and yet, uh, you know, the, the seats are comfortable. Uh, shifting is not a chore. And uh, I can imagine yeah. uh, at high speed for a few hours through winding roads and you stop and have lunch uh, and talk to your friends. Uh, I can imagine that car would be perfect. Oh, it's a joy. It's a joy. And, you know, I, we tried several different exhaust systems to get the sound right. We really worked hard on the shifter. Um, you know, I didn't want something that felt like a gated race car. I wanted something that was short throw, but still soft yet precise. Um, to me, it's important to get a car's controls balanced. You know, the weight of steering should be similar to the weight of the brake pedal and the clutch pedal, the shifting, you know, that's what you don't have with early American cars. You know, the, this has nothing to do with this or the brake, you know, so you can improve that. Porsches, of course, are always known for that. And if you start improving them, they only get, they only get better. But yeah, we work very hard on that car to make it a driver's car. Um, I'm actually building another one now, which is going to be a little more extreme and I'm almost worried it's going to be too radical, but I designed it that way. I wanted something faster, a little bit more hard edge for the street. It's going to be more of a, you know, get in and drive me hard car, not, not necessarily a casual, you know, the, the car you're describing, you could drive it every day. I've sometimes I've, I see a nice stretch of weather for a week. I'll just drive it for a week. It's just a pleasure really. The, the new one, uh, you think that'll be track or, or just road and ride, drive for an Ro hour instead of driving it all day? Yeah, road and track. Uh, you know, the car, I actually had built it once, and the suspension that's in it, I've driven it, and it's pretty stiff. It's tolerable for the street, but you've got to 
you got to watch what road you're on. You got to plan your moves a little bit. It's fantastic on the track. I mean, it's got fully adjustable coilovers. The car is fantastic, honestly. I mean, I was at VIR with that car and it had nowhere near the straight line speed of new Porsches. I was at a Porsche event. So I'm out there with guys with GT2s, GT3s. I mean, they're literally twice the horsepower. But in the turns, my old RSR was like, I mean, these guys, a couple of guys came into the paddock afterwards, like, boy, I just can't believe you were glued to me. And I know it's not necessarily me as a driver. The car just had so much grip and the suspension was so dialed in. I mean, it doesn't care about bumps. But on the street, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a little, little tough, a little bit too stiff. And it's all, yeah. it's all heim jointed, so it's noisy too. It's not like a street car where you have rubber bushings and things designed to have a little bit of give. This has no give at all. It's just absolutely metal to metal to metal, you know. So, but it'll be yeah. fun when you come next time. You'll drive that one. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> uh, it's it sounds uh, uh, raw and extreme, and uh, obviously effective. Um, yeah, when you think really about, fun. you know, the nine eleven, we we both love them. Um, it's a it's a car that's endured i love that it was born in 1963 which is the year of my birth it may be the you're, you're either a 63 or 63 same 63 yeah so i, I love yeah. that and of course i'm yep. personally proud that uh it was peter schutz that saved it in 1981 no no relation <laughs> yeah no relation but, but still he, the last name the, the same last name um sure. when you think about uh you know 911s um what do you what's good about them what's bad about them and yeah well, the early cars, the only thing I would say is bad. And when I say early, I mean from, you know, the beginning up until really the 70s. Uh, yeah. Ventilation, ventilation's not good in the car. They never really got that right. You know, it's uh, being an air-cooled car, trying to use the heat off the exhaust system. You know, it's effective, but it's, it's kind of either on or off, you know, hard to meter. And then the later cars... Well, pretty much right from the beginning, but with by I think by the uh, mid '60s they had figured out, you know, how to put a booster fan in it and get the front to have some defrost in it, or you could have fresh air. But it really never does anything quite well. And I've been in you know rainstorms and been on road trips with those cars, and you know it's it gets foggy. You know, the later cars have air conditioning, so it doesn't matter. It takes all the humidity out. But the early cars struggle with that, and. Uh, Thank God the early cars have the vent windows. That helps tremendously. Yes. Yep. Um, you know, my I have a Ferrari Dino also, and the same thing. That car, the difference between the vent windows open or closed is like night and day. I don't know why Porsche ever got rid of that. Um, I have a first year 930 turbo. And again, I was so happy it's got those little windows that open. It just makes a big difference. Um, but I think that's the worst thing about those cars. Everything else. There's nothing about them I don't like, really. Um, they're just fantastic driver's cars. I think probably one of the best designs ever, really, when you think about it. And I don't say that just because I'm a fan. I mean, just look at look at how long that thing endured and how much they did with it. Um, they're not only tough and durable, they're reliable, but they're just fun. Um, any iteration, even the 912s, you know, it doesn't really matter. But I think the, the worst is the ventilation. If I had to have one thing to complain about, you know. I was emailing a friend uh, who had a, uh, a 1980, I think, SC Pacific Blue Metallic with the black fugue wheels. And he, it was a coupe. And he sold it. Uh, and he regrets it. 
And I told him that I think that the G body uh, 9-11, particularly the 80s, you know, late 70s, early 80s, uh, is yeah. having a moment. And there's something about yeah, the the design of that generation uh, that is that resonates today more than a lot of its competitors. You certainly don't hear anything about uh, Corvettes from that era or, or, or any other cars that you think might have more of a moment. By the way, more yeah. popular, much more desirable back then was the Mercedes SL and yeah. uh, and the S-Class sedan. The, the 911 was way overshadowed by the SL particularly. And, mm-hmm. uh, and yet the SL is not having a moment. And I don't think it's going to have a moment. But there's something about that generation and that style that is very attractive today. Yeah. It could, I, I believe you're right. And I think it could be that they're still priced a little bit more down to earth. Although that said, if you look at what a decent 911 SC, let alone a good one costs, you know, they, they were stuck on 10 and $15,000 for years and years and years. And that's, those days are gone. You know, you've, you've got to pay a lot of money in the scheme of things for an old car like that, but they're still fair to say 65 to 70% the cost of a early 911. I mean, an early, you know, let's say any 911 S is somewhere between 175 and $200,000, a good one. And you can buy a car that's 10 years newer than that for under a hundred grand. That's, you know, it's just as good condition, better in some ways, you know, it's a three liter, it's got a nicer interior, uh, maybe not as pretty, arguably, because of the big bumpers and all that. But I think they're having a moment uh, in a way because the the previous generation, the long hood cars, whatever you want to call it, have just gotten so damn expensive, you know, and uh, it, I think it takes a lot of people out of it, you know, out of play a little bit. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, let alone the yeah. 356s that are, are completely yeah. insane. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I like it. So. Uh, we're getting close to being out of time, Joe, but I do want to ask okay. one question and that is what's next for, for Joe Bezzetta looking forward. You've, you know, you've been through a lot. I love, uh, the stories and, uh, looking forward, obviously you're busy family, kids, business, but what's next? Well, probably, you know, it's in terms of the hobby, I'd like to, um, I'd like to build more cars and, you know, be known for that. Uh, I'd like to either help people build cars that they like or, um, you know, build them and then market them. Not necessarily to get rich from it. I don't, you know, I don't think I would get rich from it. It's just, it's going to be a few cars here and there, but I just enjoy doing that. I was, uh, you know, I let friends drive my cars occasionally when I know that, you know, they're going to be careful. I know that they'll appreciate it. which is why I want to get a drive that 78 car that I have. And the fact that you enjoyed it so much made me realize that I, I should be helping people if they want help or if they want to buy something like that. Um, you know, why not? And it's, it's fun for me to build them. I mean, I, I'll say it's fun. It's also frustrating, you know, building cars. Cause I don't, I can't do it myself. I have to farm it out. I have the ideas. I have the vision and I've, I've, been lucky to meet some really cool guys that are talented and you know they they like working with me and we put my ideas you know into you know actual practice but um i think that's what's next i i really enjoy that and i've got to figure out how to make this a productive hobby like for me just buying cars 
storing them in a big garage or a warehouse. You know, it's nice having them, but you know, if for a while you're like, all right, I have that. Now what do I do with it? I can only drive one at a time. So I need to figure out a way to, you know, do something else with it, either build cars or make it into some kind of a club or something like that. You know, I know those are not really fresh ideas, but I think for me, that's, that would be the fun of it. No, I hope you do. I hope you do build uh, and sell some uh, bespoke 911s because uh, you obviously are good at it and uh, you're able to, you. you know, it, it reminds me a little bit of if, if someone were to go to a builder and say, build my dream house, uh, some builders are going to give you a dream house and some builders are not. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, a builder that can get you a dream house with all the touches that you like, where you walk in, you go, this feels like home. That's what we're yeah. talking about. And uh, I certainly felt that with that, uh, with your, with your 78SC, because it felt very comfortable it felt fun. It felt good. And yeah. I would not have felt that way if it was too raw or too powerful, not balanced. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just for example, uh, the shifting, and you said you, you didn't want it to feel like a racing car gated shifter. Nobody wants, I mean, well, some people do want that, but if yeah, you want to, yeah, if you want to take that car through Vermont, you don't want that. And your car had uh, balance and taste. Yeah. Thank you for that. I mean, that would be, my goal would be to, you know, help somebody build something like that or build it and present it to them. And, and hopefully they just have a car that they can enjoy. I mean, that's really what it's about. Um, my idea for this other car I'm building is it's a little more extreme. So I'm thinking perhaps I can offer that as one version and then offer the other one as a different version. Um, and then just maybe give people a choice of seats, steering wheels. The other thing I like doing is I, I buy vintage Momo wheels and I have a guy in California that restores them. So I have a collection of those and it'd be cool to, you know, finish your car up and say, look, I'm going to let you try three different wheels. Tell me which one you like, or maybe you want to buy two wheels. You know, I change the wheels all the time. It just gives the car a different, a different feel. Um, you know, stuff like that can be fun. I think for people, you know, well, you know, inevitably after the process, you'd end up with a friend because you would be a lot of conversation, a lot of, how about this? How about that? And then imagine uh, they end up with a car that they love and and they keep it forever. It becomes a family heirloom. Um, how fun. Or an enemy if they don't like the car. <laughs> I <can't, laughs> That's it. Change my address. I can't imagine that happening, Joe. I can't imagine. Well, uh, this has been You're great. Very kind. Uh, this has been great. And uh, we, as Cars on Call, are very grateful to have you. Uh, we would love to have you back because there's a lot okay. of stuff we couldn't sure. get into. But we did cover a lot of ground. And uh, on behalf of Stefan and Adams, I want to say thank you uh, very much, Joe Bezzetta. We really appreciate it. Uh, For our listeners, subscribe, like, all that stuff, and keep listening. Thanks for having me. It was uh, was really fun. And uh, I didn't know what it would feel like to be here. But, you know, you and I know each other uh, so long. So it was just kind of like, you know, what we do when we go out for dinner. We just, you know, talk about cars and stuff. But. It was fun. I had a lot of fun. So thank you. Uh, you're welcome. It's like being back on the bus, Joe. It is really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now we don't have to go to school. Thank God. <laughs>